All right. So welcome, everybody, to the first ever Traveler Chat slash Miami podcast crossover episode. Uh, as I'm sure many of you know, I am Miami CF Traveler, better known as IMCF Traveler on Twitter. Uh, everybody calls me Trav, so we can call me that. Uh, we have Jorge joining us tonight as a co-host. And then very shortly, Callie from Black Herons United will also be joining us as a co-host. So how are you doing, Jorge? I'm doing well. How are you guys doing? Ah, I can't complain. It's, you know, a nice Wednesday night. Inter-Miami 2-1. Atlanta United with a big win over Orlando for us. And I guess technically Miami won today, too, uh, if you want to go by a technicality. I mean, that's that's true. I didn't see it until this morning. I woke up to it and was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, I can say I'd much rather would have waken up to it than stayed there until I think it was like 1230 in the morning is when the final whistle was finally blown. So I'm pretty exhausted right now <laughs> if there's a way to put it. That's that's totally reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it. You know, I I was I was really expecting the game to get called and then for them to pick it back up today, like midday or something like that. So I called it, went to bed, woke up, saw the good news, saw the uh, the clips of Iguain's goal, and was really happy. So it made my day, made my morning a lot better. Uh, it definitely made the uh, two and a half hour wait worth it last night. But let's get right underway. Uh, a very busy week for inner Miami soccer. Uh, Miami played Saturday to a very disappointing and lackluster three, one loss up in Chicago and then came back home on Tuesday, kicked off the game at eight o'clock, played the first 45 and then sat in a two and a half hour lightning delay before finishing the game at 11, 11.45 to 12.30 a.m. And coming away with a very, very crucial and could be season-defining win at home against a ever-so-dangerous Columbus side. And now with some results tonight, uh, Atlanta just only about 15, 20 minutes ago beating uh, Orlando. And now Miami controls their own destiny on Saturday night. I know a lot of people were talking about how's Miami going to make the playoffs. Now we're five points out and no, we lost three straight. We're we're not making the playoffs. Miami controls their own destiny now and still has games against Orlando left, which now we can turn our focus to and is truly probably going to be the biggest game of this season. And pretty much at this point, as long as Miami matches either, as long as they match Orlando's record throughout the end of the year and beats them on that rescheduled game in October, Miami will make the playoffs. Yeah, it's a, It's it's exciting, especially after the disappointment from the weekend match where they came out flat and, you know, after 
what was it, 10 days, a 10-day layoff before that match. I mean, they looked a lot like the team we saw for the vast majority of last year, just completely unable to to do anything productive, no style. It just it was just a really disappointing flat performance. And so I think, you know, for a lot of fans, seeing that performance, um, you know, especially given the series of losses that led up to it, you know, I mean, you know, with the the Red Bull game, you know, I think we all kind of write that one off with the red card um, and, and, and how that turned that game. But all of the, all of the hope and optimism for the playoffs kind of felt stunted after that, after that, that match in Chicago, but coming out, you know, last night doing what they did uh, playing, you know, in the beginning of both halves, I think really showed kind of the quality and style of play that this team can, can really produce we just want to see it more consistently. And, you know, now there's hope, you know, we're getting breaks with, you know, with some of these other results with other teams. And and I think it's, you know, there's reason to hope there's reason to cheer. There's reason to be excited about, about this squad moving forward, um, you know, in this last stretch. Uh, that makes me, if I, can you guys hear me? Yeah, go ahead, Matthew. Okay. So that makes me think like we had like a 10 day hiatus or whatever, like a break because of the rescheduled game. And it was like so weird. It's like you had 10 days and we like play like that. I know, I know it's the pain has gone away because we went up against Columbus, but I know that red card and the Red Bull game really hurt us because Pozuelo is basically our game changer. And so is uh, Iguain. But it just makes me wonder like, what were, what were we doing in those 10 days? Like, I just don't. I just didn't understand. It's like why? Why are we reverting back? I I don't know. I was just very like confused. You know. I think Miami's always been one of those teams, just throughout our history, that coming off a extended break, whether it be an international break or a break like this, we struggle coming out of that and whether it be because we get complacent or because all these players thrive off of game time to develop chemistry with each other. For some reason, we've always struggled with coming out of a break. And, you know, saying that, that is worrisome considering after Saturday's game in DC, Miami will be going on a 12 day break for the uh, September international window. And, will after that have everything to play for. And in that, you know, Miami will have everything to play for in these final four games. And it, it almost favors them, these final four games. Uh, uh, we've talked a lot about uh, Miami travels to D.C. this week. D.C. is one of the worst teams in the league if not the worst. Yep, they are currently the worst team in the league. But at the same time, you can never underestimate a team like that. They're going to be hungry because, you know, you don't want to be branded the worst team in the league. And, you know, just this past weekend, they played RSL, who's a playoff team in the West, to a, I believe, nil-nil draw. So... As much as that is a must-win and a should-win for a Miami team that's aiming to make the playoffs, it 
it's not going to be one that's going to come easy to this Miami team. And then following the international break, Miami goes to Toronto in what should be a tough game, but Toronto is effectively at this point out of the playoff picture. They sit on only 34 points with three games remaining. Uh, I believe if Columbus wins this weekend, then Toronto will be effectively out of the playoff race and will be eliminated. So it'll be interesting to see how they play with players like Lorenzo Insigne, uh, Federico Bernardeschi, who have never really had that problem in a league that they've played in. They've never been able to say, you know, oh, we're done. You know, we're not catching up. We're not making the playoffs. We're eliminated. So it'll be interesting to see how they play. And then obviously Wednesday, October 5th, Miami plays at home to Orlando, the rescheduled game from earlier this month. And then Sunday, October 9th on MLS Decision Day at 2.30 p.m., Miami plays Montreal, one of the top teams in the East and who have already clinched a playoff spot in the season finale. And to kind of go back to to Matt's question and, and the point that you made about this team having struggles after long layoffs. Um, I think one of the things that probably doesn't get talked about enough is the fact that this season and a lot of last season, but, but this season in particular, there hasn't been a consistent 11 on the field game in game out where we know that these are the 11 that are going to start, you know, just nail down starters. And so, you know, the the switch from Drake to Marsman, you know, the injury to Lowe, um, you know, the the fact that McVeigh has basically been nailed down on that left side, but then moving him inside, you know, with with the absence of Lowe and then bringing Gibbs back in. I think that like there is there's an aspect to the squad that th- there's an instability and that instability in the back I think really impacts the ability of Gregory and Mota to feel comfortable, to press forward and to create, you know, to, you know, to progress the ball, get it to Pozzuolo, to the wingers um, and to really push. And I think that that's kind of what we had been seeing, you know, in these last few games, Um, you know, I think getting Drake back, getting that consistency back, um, you, you started to see them find their rhythm again. Um, but but it is a concern, you know, that, that international break and, you know, the fact that most of the team is going to get rested. But, you know, Yedlin's going to go out. He's probably going to play one of those matches, you know, maybe a half, maybe a full game. Um, so he's not going to be completely rested coming back. But but that is, you know, those the, the matches that follow that are going to be, you know, absolutely critical potentially. Yeah. And on top of that, I'll. DeAndre Yedlin is going out and has been called up to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, Robert Taylor has been called up to the Finnish national team for their, I believe, Nations League matches. And Damian Lowe, despite being currently injured for Miami, is has been called up and if he's healthy and if he's able, will probably be expected to play for the Jamaican national team as they play Argentina in New York. So 
Oh, that that will be a big part coming out of this break is while the vast majority of this team will be rested, three players who are arguably day in day out starters, uh, maybe Chris McVeigh a little bit less, uh, uh, not Chris McVeigh, uh, Robert Taylor, uh, are going to have played games during this twelve day span. So it'll be interesting to see how Miami deals with that, especially as they go away from home to a dangerous uh, Toronto side. And the point you made about Toronto with, you know, the Italians coming in and not being used to basically calling it a season, you know, a few weeks before, before the end, um, you know, I think it, it, it helps us. It helps us that, they may not have much to play for. Bradley may be wanting to give you know them a rest. They've had a long season, you know, because they transferred in in the summer, um, you know, and, and try some things out and you know see what he has for next year as far as youth and, and depth. And then Montreal, you know, having I, I believe they locked up the playoffs, um, you know, uh, so now they have no incentive to you know go all out on decision day. So, I mean, those two things do really break for us um, in the event that we can, you know, that we can put ourselves in a position to control our destiny um, at that time. It's going to come down to Orlando. I have a terrible, terrible feeling. It's going to come down. Orlando will be in like seventh place. We'll be in eighth. It's for the season. I, I have such a terrible terrible feeling it's just going to come down to Orlando and it's that I, my heart my heart is gonna it's gonna be pounding the whole match it's it's gonna put heart attack herons to a whole new level if that happens well and, and uh, we've talked a lot about especially over this past season and finally having the U.S. Open Cup back about how Miami and Orlando have never really had that defining match, that match that makes you say, yeah, this is a rivalry. And it's looking increasingly likely that that match on October 5th at home has the potential to be that match. It very, very likely will be the match that decides which one of Miami and Orlando makes the playoffs and which one's sitting at home uh, during the winter break. So it'll be, for me at least, very interesting to see if that's the match that really takes the Miami-Orlando rivalry to just the next level. And, and to that point, I mean, they're, they're going to be coming into that game on two, three days rest. I think they play on the, on the second against you know new york city and that's a game that they have to win so you know they'll be coming off of you know the international break as well but they'll have to probably maximize their effort to get a win or a result in that game um and maybe we can take advantage of that you know if it breaks you know if it breaks for us you know it would be it there's an opening there and i and i'm not confident in that in Orlando being a consistent team, just like I'm not confident in, in Miami being a consistent team um, that you know, we could probably expose them 
in that game with, you know, down rest, maybe coming off of a bad result, get into their heads and have that real kind of, this is what creates the true rivalry moment. Yeah. And I, I, I agree to that. And to your point, Orlando does play on Sunday, October 2nd, while Miami does play two days prior to that, they play on Friday, September 30th against Toronto. So Miami will be the more rested team going into that. And arguably Miami will be the hungrier team. Orlando, this year, regardless of if they make the playoffs or not, will have that U.S. Open Cup trophy to point to and say, we succeeded this year. We won the first ever trophy in club history. Oh, we succeeded. So I do think that coming down this stretch, uh, we saw tonight alone with Orlando playing Atlanta at home. Or Orlando didn't look that hungry. They weren't really pushing and pushing and pushing and whether that's part of this post us open cup hangover or part post getting absolutely pounded by philly over the weekend it'll be interesting to see just how orlando handles their kind of stretch to the finish as they play all eastern conference opponents they play toronto nycfc us and Columbus in their final four matches. So it'll be interesting to see if, you know, they maybe take their foot off the gas a little bit here. And I'll say that we've already succeeded this season. We're good. Oh, if we don't make the playoffs, so be it. Yeah. I don't think we can expect them to, to say that, to, to kind of come in with the, we have a trophy we're good. I think that, you know, it matters for them to make it into the playoffs too. Um, but I, but they have a much tougher stretch. You know, I mean, Columbus is going to be fighting. New York city is going to be fighting to keep home field advantage. Um, we're going to be fighting. Colum- you know, so it's, it's one, it just, it's just, it's a little, it's a little anxiety inducing kind trying to, trying to uh, game theory it out, but um, it is, it, it's what we want. You know, I think, I mean, for me personally coming into the season, I didn't expect this to be a playoff team. I was going to be happy with a team that showed me life, that showed improvement with the roster turnover. Um, see what we have. Does, can this staff build a roster and can get and can get these guys to play together and be competitive. And we saw that and I'm happy. So, you know, my preseason checklist has been, you know, has been fulfilled. All of this moving forward for me is gravy. I obviously want us to make the playoffs. And I think that this team can and has shown enough that they deserve it. Um, it's just, I just don't want them to get in their own way. Um, and that's, and that's really kind of, where I'm at with uh, looking at the next few matches, you know, moving forward is just, this is all of this is just, I'm proud of these boys. And, um, and I think the fans should be excited about it. Yeah, I, I fully agree with that. And now oh, it, it's crazy to think that theoretically and mathematically Miami even still has a shot at home field advantage in the playoffs. Uh, 
Oh, it, it's a long shot. It would require us basically winning out and NYCFC losing out. But I never thought I'd be sitting here with four games left in the season saying we control our own destiny on whether we make the playoffs or not. If you asked me that at the beginning of the season, I would have said, well, probably hell no. And that this team was closer to the wooden spoon than making the playoffs. And yet here we are, we're in the race for the playoffs. We control our own destiny and we sit in a relatively good position. And it'll be interesting to see just what Miami is able to do with that down this stretch run. So looking forward to this weekend, obviously, you know, you, you already stated DC is absolute bottom of the tier, you know, wooden spoon basically is, is locked up for them. Um, but I don't want it. I don't want to look past this game because we have to win it. And I don't, you know, I mean, just like Chicago for a lot of people, myself included, thought that that's a must win game. This is a team that can't score goals, hasn't been scoring goals. And what do we go? What do we do? We lay an egg and they drop three on us. And I just, I just need this team not to look past this weekend in DC. It's going to be muggy. You know, we're used to that. Um, but I just want us to control this game, show our show our skill, show our talent level, and get out of there with three points and move forward. Yeah, and you know, looking at DC, they are bottom of the barrel, barrel team. They have one win in their last ten and three draws in their last ten. Uh, that's pretty horrific, and you know. That, that just shows that this should be a game that Miami should be able to, if they're truly a playoff team, go into, dominate, and win with ease. But if you take a closer look at DC's form, oh, out of those losses that they've had, oh, they held LAFC to a 1-0 loss. They held New England to a 1-0 loss. They played Atlanta in, if I remember correctly, a thriller in a 3-2 loss. And they even beat NYCFC just a couple of weeks ago. And granted, NYCFC, not a great team right now. Uh, I think they are winless in their last five. Oh, This DC team still has a ton of talent on them. And oh, could surprise, especially with somebody like Wayne Rooney as their coach and Taxi Fontas and newest addition Chris, uh, Christian Benteke all available for them. Yeah, I can easily see this DC game being sort of a trap game. You know, the guys are going to be a little relaxed. They're going to go out there, you know, who knows what their mentality is going to be, but I, I truly hope it's not the trap game that I think it's going to be, kind of like what happened with Chicago. Yeah, and I mean, you know, at the beginning of the year, DC was playing pretty well. I mean, they were they were scoring goals. I mean, they had multiple two, three, 
goal games. You know, they were they were leaky defensively, but I mean, they had they obviously had attacking talent and an attacking identity. Now, with the coaching change, um, you know, that locker room has. I don't think they've they're, they've recovered really since you know New York put four on them in May, and then they run into the buzzsaw of Philadelphia, who is just I mean taking them to the woodshed in a way that no team has been has been treated in this league in its twenty five year history. Um, so you know I, I think that you know obviously their morale isn't going to be high, but it is absolutely not a trap game. And, you know, we, we, we cannot look past it. Um, I know Rooney has been playing around with bringing up um, a lot of youth players. You know, he's made comments in the media that, you know, these guys have earned it. You know, if uh, there's a 15 year old, a 17 year old, you know, I mean, there he's giving guys um, opportunities to, to test them out and to see what he has before he goes and builds this team this winter. Um, you know, into, into something that he really, that he really believes in that we have to worry about next season. Um, but you know, we just, you know, there's not a lot of tape on some of these guys that, that we might be playing against. And, um, we know that we've struggled with young, um, DC players in the past, you know, I mean, you know, last year, I can't remember the, the fullback's name who went out to, uh, to Germany this season on transfer, but, I mean, he gave he gave Morgan fits in both of those games last season, and so they have talent. Um, you know, they're professionals, but we gotta we gotta do what we can to win. Not yeah, to I mention, mean, those young guys are going to be hungry. Exactly. Like, like started a fit like like it, it's like uh, I, don't know, I guess for for um, example's sake, like. Noah Island getting his first start. I know it already happened, but it's just they're going to be hungry to show Wayne Rooney that they have what it takes to be an MLS level, regardless if they're going to the playoffs or not. Yeah, I can see these guys. It's just, I mean, what do they got to lose? So these guys, I can definitely see them just go all out. Be a playoff spoiler. Yeah, and to farther on that, I mean, D.C. just this past weekend against RSL started a, I believe, 15- or 16-year-old center back who helped them on their way to a nil-nil draw against RSL. And that just shows that while D.C., you know, by starting a 15-year-old this late in the season, has said, we're out of it, we're not making the playoffs this year, Let's test some new guys out. Those new guys are going to be hungry. They're trying to prove themselves not only to the fans, but to Wayne Rooney and saying, we deserve to be on the first team next year. You signed us for a reason. Let us have our shot. So it'll be very interesting to see how some of those new young guys play for DC. And, oh, like Don said, you know, what really could be a trap game for Miami? Oh, we could go into this kind of with our heads held high and say, oh, we just played and won the first ever two-day long game, and oh, now we're playing the worst team in the league, and could very easily and very quickly get trapped in that mentality and let themselves down. Uh I don't think it will happen. I think this Miami team has proven 
not recently, but over the course of the season that when the going gets tough, the tough get going. And I think Tuesday night and well, Wednesday morning is a fantastic example of that where the, you know, going gets tough, the tough get going and Miami's able to by any means necessary squeak out a win. So it'll be interesting to see what they do going into DC and just how well they play and who's going to step up for Miami this time. I'll tell you what, seeing Pipita and Pozuelo, those guys being in form again, seem to be, they seem to be in the same page again. That, that gives me a little hope. That makes me feel a bit better going into the game. And I just, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, so, what I was going to say was, I think we should treat this game like complacency. We can't have that complacency mentality. But I think we should just go in this game how we ended off Columbus, right? No nonsense. Don't do the five in the back crazy stuff that we've done in the past where we get defensive and then we concede a goal or something like that because we are pretty weak defensively or shaky. But what I'm saying, like how we ended Columbus was he put in, I think we had Pozuelo, Duke, Lasseter, Taylor, Higuain, and Campana all playing. Like we just need to just put that game to bed early. I know like if you've heard me say before, I just wish this team would win a game by more than one goal. And I think I think I, I don't want to have the complacency mentality, but it's just like I really think that this could be finally that game or try to make it that game at least. Try to go all out attack and just put that game and just put that game to bed early. That's just all I want. That's all we need. We need just get those three points no matter what. And, and to that to that point, Matthew, I mean, the how that team came out of the locker room in the second half, they controlled the first 12 minutes and, you know, they just dominated. And you saw Robert Taylor getting involved out on the wings. You saw Pozuelo getting involved and being creative in the middle and combining with um, both Gregory uh, and Iguain that we were creating space. We were having, we were playing attractive soccer and then the pendulum swung back. We got defensive, uh, you know, Columbus took their chances and then we changed the formation. I think, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Campana came on for Lassiter. And so we had, we essentially from what it seemed to me in watching the, the replay this afternoon, it was almost as if we were playing a 4-4-2 with two strikers. Campana was patrolling more to the left hash. Iguain was patrolling more to the right. And that combination was working really well with Pozuelo. I mean, after the goal, after Iguain's goal, there was another opportunity where Pozuelo takes the shot. But if he had if he had slid the pass in, Campano was running into space. He had read he had read the defense well was getting in behind and he would have been in on goal. Um, and that, and that was the one thing we have not seen. We have not seen those two players play together yet. 
And that was really encouraging. And I think that that there is an opportunity here, you know, with DC, given you know their run of form, to do exactly what you're talking about, Matthew, and score multiple goals. I mean, I would be happy. I would be happier watching this team win four three than than win one nil in a lot of the you know because the the anxiety that comes with the one nil, you know, I just don't trust the defense. Now, if it was locked down, that's a completely different story. But there are weapons here, and I want to see us use them. You would actually be correct um, about that formation that you mentioned. If you look at Phil Neville's press conference, I was watching it like this morning. He said he switched to like some sort of four four two diamond up there, and he was just name dropping players. Like, if anyone like, well, once this traveler chat is all done, um, I highly suggest looking at that inter- uh, at the post game interview because he was dropping tactics like crazy. I've never I've never heard of that from him. I've never heard him drop formations, drop tactics, drop names. Like it, it was literally like a tactics talk with him for about five minutes answering a question. So yeah, just just a side note, I guess. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, uh, I've kind of yelled for a little while that a four four two diamond really does fit this team. Uh, uh, with any combination of the back four, but if you play, let's say, oh. Uh, Molta is the sixth. Gregory is one of the eights. Duke is another one of the eights. And then Pozuelo in front of them as the 10. And then Gonzalo and Campana both up front. That's not only a ton of creativity in the midfield from Gregory, Duke, and Pozuelo, but it's two truly lethal attacking threats up front in both Leo Campana and Gonzalo Higuain. And we saw DC struggle with that. You know, just on the goal that Gonzalo scored to win it, we saw DC really tracking Campana, who is making another run into the box as, you know, the secondary player. They thought that Gonzalo was going to play it across Campana. And even Eloy Room, Columbus's goalie, was cheating off his post, which allowed Gonzalo to go near post. And, you know, he was expecting the pass to Leo Campana. So I really like that formation. I question how it holds up over 90 minutes, especially because I think a goal like the first goal that we saw uh, yesterday doesn't happen in that formation because Campana isn't, that super speedy player that somebody like Ariel Lassiter is. But I would love, I'd be elated to see that formation come out as the starting lineup on Saturday and on Sunday in DC. And uh, it's been proven already. Those four in the middle, that's the best midfield combination. Uh, I think, Duke playing next to Pozuelo just really they really helps as well as game a lot moving forward. Yeah, and I think that you know one of the, you know I'm like, I like the idea of the diamond and with that foursome um, in the midfield. My, you know, my issue is we lose so much athleticism when we move into that uh, that formation because now we're relying on on Iguain and Campana to stretch a defense 
And they just can't do that consistently. I mean, neither one of them has that in their bag. And then we lose, you know, we lose the opportunity to, to blend in a player like Robert Taylor, who, when he gets involved, is a, is one of our best players on the pitch. But if he's, but if he disappears, like, like Morgan would disappear last season, you know, it's, it's useless, you know, like his skill is just being wasted. Um, and then on the all on the other side with with Lassiter, if Lassiter isn't making those lung busting runs um, and really stretching the defense, what's his value? You know, he's not great on the ball sometimes. He's not the best finisher. His 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 value is his athleticism. Um, and in the diamond, one of the things that I worry about is you know having Duke and having Pozzuolo there gives you the creativity in the middle. The one thing that we don't see enough of is Mota or Gregory progressing the ball, getting taking the ball off of somebody, inter, you know, intercepting a, a pass, and then driving it forward, putting the defense, the opposing team on their heels, and taking it into space. They're much more comfortable playing a pass than they are driving into that space um, and forcing a defender to commit to them because. You know, Gregory does that laterally, but he doesn't do that going forward towards the goal. And I'd really like to see us do that more often because I think that would make us more dangerous and would utilize the skill of Pozuelo and Duke um, more efficiently if we had someone who was more comfortable in that kind of on the ball progression. I feel like we we could have we used the four four two diamond was because Columbus is very weak on the wings. And doing that four four two diamond just doesn't give you wingers, and it leaves a lot of space in behind for the fullbacks. So, I it, it just depends on the team. I don't believe it should be. I know thinking about it, I don't think it should be what we start with. I think we, we should start with like a four two three one or four three three. I think like a four four two diamond would be great to use seventy five minute plus. You know when all the substitutions are made and. We just need that goal. You know what I mean? And also to keep possession. I think that's that's another aspect of it. Yeah, I think the big thing with that four four two diamond is it's truly more of a possession-based game formation. It's the type of formation where you're focusing on keeping possession in the midfield, building, and then playing one of your two strikers. My biggest issue with the formation is the lack of wingers and the lack of somebody like Lassiter who likes your, uh, Jorge said, uh, no, he may not be the best on the ball. He may not have the best finishing, but he has the ability to run, you know, 70 yards straight nonstop at full speed and get in behind a defense at a pace that nobody can catch him. And, you know, right there alone, stretch the defense and make room for somebody like a Pazuelo or a Campana or a Gonzalo Higuain to catch up and then have acres of space to work in because he pulled the defenders away. Okay, but so how good is DC's defense? How how good is their, their back line? Uh, what's their goal differential? I mean, I don't know if you guys have these stats on the top of your head. But, I mean, just how effective do you think their defense is going to be? 
So, I think their goal differential is like negative twenty-seven or something like that. And then good. again, like it, more more than half of it was because of Philadelphia just just destroying them seven zero and six zero. So it's currently negative thirty. Uh, oh, and Ma- Matthew's right. It thirteen of that negative thirty comes from Philadelphia alone, which is just insane to say. But at the same time, this DC team has only scored 32 goals on the season and has allowed the most in the league with, they've allowed 62 goals this season. That is the most in the league by, looking at it really quick, by five goals, Toronto has allowed the second most. no, it's the most by one goal. Uh, San Jose has allowed 61 goals. So this DC defense is leaky at best. Uh, on a good day, they do know how to shut a team down, but a team that in 31 games has allowed an average of two goals per game while only scoring one goal per game, that is absolutely dismal yeah so going back to my original point i don't think it'll be so detrimental if we start the game with that four four man um diamond formation in the middle yeah and i mean looking at those stats i'm almost inclined to agree uh dc's squad from the past uh past match is Weak on the back line, you know, they have, you know, they started a 15-year-old. In the midfield, it's, you know, relatively weak. They have oh, a player like Ravel Morrison. And outside of that, oh, Russell Canals, Victor Paulson, but and Christopher Durkin. But they're not great at retaining perse- possession. They're not great at scoring and they're not great at preventing teams from scoring on them so this game really could be there for Miami and I do think a possession-based formation like the 4-4-2 diamond will give Miami a lot of chances and give the DC defense a lot of problems in handling up to four different attacking goal-scoring players in Campana, Gonzalo, Pozuelo, and Duke. Yeah, and definitely with Campana, with his hold-up play, I can, he's, he could still be an outlet. Not necessarily as a, an athletic winger, but still pretty good presence. I, I mean, the more that you guys are starting to, to convince me, I mean, the I just can't get over the fact that they're starting a 15-year-old in the in the center that the center that boy like, that, is built dude that 15 year old is built like a 25 year old i don't care like, i mean but like like you know i mean i'm like i grew up in miami i played with guys who you know who were all world athletes like still it's still different like campana is a man Iguain is a man like there is like he can be built but he's still going to be he's still figuring out how to how to live in his body, let alone play, you know, professionally at the highest level. Absolutely. And so, you know, I think 
you, you if you put pressure on a player like that, especially with someone who is as skilled one on one as Iguain is. Now, he gets dispossessed. We we know that, but he is wily, and you put pressure on him with somebody like that, or with a fit a, a, a player that can impose themselves physically like Campana can. I, I that's a that's a pressure point that that really might need to be exploited. Yeah, I mean, I agree. You know, I think that if DC does start this 15-year-old center back, they didn't on Tuesday night. Uh, I think if they do, you want to put your best players on the pitch, your best attacking players on the pitch, all at the same time to basically overload the league's worst defensive side. And... I think the way you do that is playing a 4-4-2 diamond where you can play Pozuelo, Duke, oh, Molta even, Gonzalo, and Campana all at the same time and just threaten that defense over and over and over again. And they're a team that's really proven that you know they're going to bend, but not that much before they break. And it takes very little. For them to break. So my thing is, you know, we're talking about all of this. This kind of like makes a lot of sense to us. But at the end of the day, we're still dealing with Neville Ball. So what what do you think? What do you guys think is going to happen more than likely? Like, do you think he's still going to continue to start Vasilev? Or he's going to go to the, to the diamond in the middle? I think just based off of his press conference uh, late last night, that we're probably going to see either this diamond or a 4-4, kind of a fake 4-4-2, 4-4-3 like we saw on uh, Tuesday night where, you know, we have that technical ability and we have those attacking threats. You have, just, just remember, it's Neville Ball, right? You just never know. You never ever know. It's like it's like a joke that I have with myself that I've expressed with a few people. If you're if you're on Phil Neville's team, there's always one player out of position. Usually it's McVeigh, but sometimes it's like another player. There's always someone out of position. Always, always, always. And you just never know. Like look, I won't even be surprised if he puts like a a five three two. And just decides, oh, I think today the, is the game that we're going to um, experiment. I don't know if he's going to do that. But I'm just saying, you just never know with this guy. I typically agree with that. You know, Neville's been unpredictable in that way. Uh, and the announced lineup has never been the actual lineup either. But... I think his press conference last night was extremely telling. You know, he talked about, oh, we don't want to play a back three. He said those words verbatim. And, you know, he basically praised this back, this uh, 4-4-2 diamond in the midfield and talked about what it does for this team. So I think... Well, yes, it's Neville Ball, and it you know kind of always will be Neville Ball. 
I think he's very much evolving and has figured out this is what works for this team. This is what we need to do. This is how we get the best players on the pitch at the same exact time. Oh, Mr. Traveler, so what you're saying is we have a chance. Uh, I am saying we have a chance. Uh, As somebody called me on Tuesday, uh, I am obviously Harvey Neville. Uh, I do have all the inside information at being the coach's son. Fantastic. So, you know, I do think that Neville is learning over time. You know, everybody's been critical of him, especially after a loss. You know, we don't hear anything after a win. But I do think he's learned over time what is best for this team. And he's, on top of that, learned, oh, how do I fit, you know, our true best 11 on the field at the same exact time? Just to remind all of us, like just in case, not to get complacent. I, I... Hey, Matthew, I think you got dropped. Tight. Yeah, you got dropped. Testing, testing. Yeah, he's gone. But, yeah, you know, I kind of can finish what I think he was going to say, which was along the lines. Oh, oh um, hello? There, there he is. He's oh, back. Steph, I, I'm alive again. Uh, it's just like my final thought, just to remind ourselves that just, um, just a reminder that Houston Dynamo did win bottom of the Western Conference against the New England Revolution who was hungry for a playoff spot. Just a friendly reminder, just in case, you just never, ever, ever know. That was a massive result last night. Everything went our way last night. Everything went our way. That was also a crazy game in terms of... Oh. Or Houston did score three goals, but they probably should have had six or seven. And Montreal's goalkeeper, uh, Jord Petrovic, is arguably, and U.S. Men's National Team Twitter is going to murder me if I say this, he's arguably better than Matt Turner, who New England had before this. So while that was a massive result to us, it really showed just how far this New England team has fallen from setting the MLS points record last season. Yeah, you're going to get murdered on Twitter after that. <laughs> I, I mean, it, no, that his, his shot stopping last night, um, I mean, really did save them from a, a truly humiliating scoreline. I mean, there was that one sequence where he stopped three shots. All three were, were good shots in a matter. Two were back-to-back, and then the third one you know, rolled off. I think the, the attacker spun and took another shot at a tight angle, and he saved all three of them. They were, it was, he, was, he was impressive. He really was. 
Uh, and it's on a quick side tangent. It's crazy to think how he was brought in as the replacement to Matt Turner. And if you talk to a lot of uh, New England Revolution supporters, they didn't think much of him when he came in. And yet he is arguably the best keeper in the MLS right now. And if I was a member of the media and had a vote on all of the players of the year and all of that, he would get my vote as goalie of the year. Well, I saw some advanced stats that were posted. I think um, that that he would that he has the best advanced stats, and it was Sean Johnson as second, and then I think Drake was third or fourth on that list too. So um, you know we've got a good one, good one there. But yeah, I mean he was his 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 whatever the advanced stat was, it was like G minus XG. Um, you know, he was, he was at the top of the league for it. Yeah. And and that's for me, just crazy to think about, but back to Miami and we'll try and wrap this up in a little bit so that, uh, Jay and Than from inner Miami podcast don't have too much to edit down. Uh, Oh, Miami does go to DC this Saturday in, Oh, a big match for them just in terms of this is a match Miami should win. Uh, After that, Miami goes on break for 12 days, the international break uh, with three players representing their countries. DeAndre Yedlin representing the U S Damian Lowe, potentially representing Jamaica and Robert Taylor representing Finland in the nation's league before Miami comes back and plays three games in eight days with Toronto away, Orlando at home. And then on MLS decision day, they play Montreal at home who as of last weekend have already clinched a playoff spot. And as the days go by, they are closer and closer to clinch the second seed in the East. So, a busy run to the finish. Miami controls their own destiny at this point. Uh, at the time of recording, we sit three points out of fifth place and only two points out of seventh place with a game in hand on, well, nobody. Uh, nobody above us we have a game in hand on outside of like an NYCFC. Uh so a very crucial kind of dash to the finish coming up for Miami. And despite what many of us were thinking as, you know, as early as Saturday, Miami's still very much alive. They control their own destiny. And while the hopes of a home playoff game are pretty much all but gone, Miami very likely could go to the playoffs at this point and play away at a Montreal or one of the two New York teams. And, you know, for the last game of the season, um, if I'm not mistaken, I believe Orlando plays Columbus on their last match. So we could potentially see either both teams losing points or, you know, at least one of them is going to lose out on on, on all three points. Yeah, and and basically at – At this stage, with where we sit, 
as long as Miami has the same record as Orlando along with beating Orlando throughout this remaining four games for both teams, Miami will make the playoffs. Uh, Even if Miami doesn't beat Orlando, that Orlando-Columbus game is going to be massive. Uh, My bold take is the loser of that game doesn't make the playoffs. So Miami does have a lot going for it right now. And a, a very, in my mind, a very good chance of making the playoffs, especially as we control our own destiny, you know, this late in the season. Yeah, uh, no, I, I think, you know, I, that's we do we control our own destiny and that's the that's the position you want to be in. You know, you don't want to have to rely on other teams and other results to to get to where you want to go. Um I wish we were higher up the table and feeling a little bit more secure, but the reality is we are where we are. We do our jobs. We win. And we continue to play in the playoffs and we give ourselves an opportunity to go win some silverware, which is what this team wants to do um, long-term. And, you know, we're here for the ride. I fully agree with that. And I will say, if Miami makes the playoffs, it doesn't matter where it is. I will be at that playoff match. Uh, I'm kind of hoping for one of the two New York City clubs because I really don't want to deal with going to Canada. But if it is Canada, I will gladly give them whatever documentation they want from me to get into Canada for that match. But saying that, any final notes, Don, Jorge, anything? Uh, not much really just really looking forward uh, to the la- to the next match and hopefully uh, the guys are up for it um th- this this hopefully they understand that <laughs> that this could be a really really bad trap game for them and so you know th- you got to keep pushing forward uh, my only final thought is i'm really excited to to get to the game on uh on sunday i'm going to be there in person driving in um it's going to be the first game I've actually seen in person this season. I came down for the Montreal game last year. So, you know, really excited to see the boys uh, cheer them on and, you know, hopefully get to go home feeling uh, even better about our playoff chances. Yeah, I totally forgot that you're going to be there along with Than from Inner Miami Podcast. We'll also be there and quite a few other people. Uh, so, I'll be sure to meet up with all of you guys. But on that note, thank you to everybody for listening. This has been a special episode of Traveler Chat in coordination and collaboration with the Inner Miami podcast guys. Uh, be sure to follow myself, IMCF Traveler, on Twitter. Uh, Jorge, I don't know your handle off the top of my head. It's Jorge DTA. Jorge DTA. Can't see me. <laughs> some of our special guests in Don Cafecito at Stu Steve uh, Munoz 117. And then I don't know Matthews off the top of my head, but I'll be sure to link them. Uh, be sure to follow all of us. Be sure to follow Inner Miami Podcasts. And uh, we'll be talking to you later on. You know, thank you again for joining us.
Big shout out to Than and Jay. Yeah, Vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. Vamos Miami. Let's go, bro. Let's go.